אבל גם נביאי שקר היו בעם כשם שגם ביניכם יהיו מורי שקר. הללו יכניסו בחשאי תורות הרסניות, ויכפרו באדון אשר קנה אותם, ויביאו על עצמם אבדן פתאום. רבים ילכו אחרי תועבותיהם, ובגללם תגודף דרך האמת. ובתאוותם לבצע ידברו כזב, ויסחרו בכם, ואומנם לא יתעכב משפטם שנחרץ מקדם, ואף דנם לא ינום. הן אלוהים לא חס על המלאכים החוטאים, אלא הורידם אל תחתיות ארץ ונתנם בחבלי אופל לשמרם למשפט. וגם על העולם הקדום לא חס, אבל בהביאו מבול על עולם של רשעים, שמר את נוח, מטיף הצדק והשיבה אשר עמו. את הערים סדום ועמורה שרף לאפר לאחר שדן אותן למהפכה, ושימו אותן לדוגמה לעתידים לעשות רשעה, והציל את לוט הצדיק, אשר נתקעה נפשו בגלל התנהגות הרשעים שטופי זימה. כי הצדיק הזה אשר בשבתו בקרבם ראה ושמע את הנעשה, יום יום התענה בנפשו הישרה על מעשי רשעתם. אכן יודע אדוני להציל את חסידיו מניסיון, ועם זאת לחשוך את הרשעים ליום הדין כדי להענישם, בייחוד את ההולכים אחר הבשריות בתאוות טומאה ובוזים את הסמכות העליונה. חצופים הם הולכים בשרירות ליבם ואינם נרתעים מלחרף את נושאי המשרות הנכבדות אשר אף המלאכים הגדולים מהם בעוצמה וכוח אינם מביאים עליהם קטרוג של גידוף לפני אדוני. אך הללו דומים לחיות חסרות תבונה שבדרך הטבע נולדות כדי להילכד ולהישמד. הם מחרפים מה שאינם יודעים וכמו שהן נשמדות גם הם יישמדו. ובזה יסבלו את גמול עוולתם, את ההוללות ביום חושבים הם לתענוג, כתמי טומאה ומומים הם. עיניים להם מלאות נאופים ואינן מרפות מן החטא. הם לוכדים נפשות בלתי יציבות, ליבם מורגל בחמדנות. אכן בנים ארורים. בעזבם את דרך הישר, טעו והלכו בדרך בלעם בן באור, אשר אהב את שכר הרשע, והוכח על עוולתו. אתון אילמת דיברה בכל אדם ועצרה את איוולת הנביא. בארות בלי מים הם, עננים נידפים בסערה, אשר אפלת חושך שמורה להם. בדברם גדולות, דברים שאינם אלא הבל. הם לוכדים בתאוות בשרים ובמעשי זימה את אלה אשר אך נמלטו מידי ההולכים בדרך הטעות. הם מבטיחים להם חופש בשעה שהם עצמם עבדים לכל אשר משחית. הרי למה שאדם נכנע, לזה הוא משתעבד. הלא אם אחרי שנמלטו מטומאות העולם בידעתם את אדוננו ומושיענו, ישוע המשיח, שוב נסתבכו בהם ונוצחו, כי אז מצבם האחרון גרוע מן הראשון. מוטב היה להם שלא לדעת את דרך הצדקה, מאשר לדעת אותה ולסור מן המצווה הקדושה המסורה להם. התממש בהם המשל האמיתי, הכלב שב אל קאו, וגם החזיר עולה מן הרחצה להתגולל ברפש. האיגרת השנייה לקיפה, פרק 2 But among the people there are also false prophets, just as there will be false teachers among you. Under false pretenses they will introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and thus bring on themselves swift destruction. 
Many will follow their debaucheries, and because of them, the true way will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their punishment, decreed long ago, is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. For God did not spare the angels who sinned. On the contrary, he put them in gloomy dungeons lower than Sheol to be held for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world. On the contrary, he preserved Noach, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, and brought the flood upon a world of ungodly people. And he condemned the cities of Sdom and Amorah, reducing them to ashes and ruin, as a warning to those in the future who would live ungodly lives. But he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the debauchery of those unprincipled people. For the wicked deeds which that righteous man saw and heard, as he lived among them, tormented his righteous heart day after day. So the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the wicked until the day of judgment while continuing to punish them, especially those who follow their old natures in lust for filth and who despise authority. Presumptuous and self-willed, these false teachers do not tremble at insulting angelic beings, whereas angels, though stronger and more powerful, do not bring before the Lord an insulting charge against them. But these people, acting without thinking, like animals without reason, born to be captured and destroyed, insult things about which they have no knowledge. When they are destroyed, their destruction will be total. They will be paid back harm as wages for the harm they are doing. Their idea of pleasure is carousing and broad daylight. They are spots and defects, reveling in their deceptions as they share meals with you. For they have eyes always on the lookout for a woman who will commit adultery, eyes that never stop sinning, and they have a heart that has exercised itself in greed, so that they seduce unstable people. What a cursed brood! These people have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Bil'am ben Bo, who loved the wages of doing harm, but was rebuked for his sin. A dumb beast of burden spoke out with a human voice and restrained the prophet's insanity. Waterless springs they are, mists driven by a gust of wind. For them has been reversed the blackest darkness. Mouthing grandiosities of nothingness, they play on the desires of the old nature in order to seduce with debaucheries people who have just begun to escape from those whose ways of life is wrong. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, for a person is slave to whatever has defeated him. Indeed, if they have once escaped the pollutions of the world through knowing our Lord and Deliverer, Yeshua the Messiah, and then have again become entangled and defeated by them, their latter condition has become worse than their former. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, fully knowing, to turn from the holy command delivered to them. What has happened to them accords with the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. Yes, the pig washed itself only to wallow in the mud. The second letter of Shimon Kefa, chapter 2. So uh, Morgan Freeman called, and he really, really wanted to read the whole Bible part, but uh, 
His Hebrew just wasn't cutting it, so I told him no. I'm totally kidding. That never happened. Shalom shalom, v'uchim ha'shavim. Peace be upon you and welcome back to yet another exhilarating and exfoliating episode 8 of Finding, Finding Higher, higher, higher ground. ground. With none other than the self-proclaimed Manic Messianic from Seattle, your host, Gotti Hire. As always, I'd like to give some shoutouts before I begin. My first thank you goes out to audacityteam.org for creating free, absolutely free, professional grade audio mixing software. Thank you guys, couldn't do it without you. A very big thank you to Anchor and Spotify for letting me use their podcast platform. Also, you can now find Finding Higher Ground on both Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. A very big thank you to Epidemic Sound for amazing background music and sound effects. Thank you, guys. HebrewForChristians.com That's Hebrew, the number four, Christians.com for invaluable information and knowledge regarding everything to do with the kingdom of Abba Father, His Son, Messiah Yeshua, and Ruach HaKodesh, in which He came. I'd like to say to oneforisrael.org for allowing me to share their book, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, to all of you listeners out there, believer and non-believer alike in for a big treat, so stay tuned for that. My last thank you goes to a one David H. Stern for bringing together what we call the Complete Jewish Bible. I actually have the study version. If you could get your hands on one of those, that would be optimal. It will change your entire outlook of what we call Christianity. just had to go there, didn't you? You just had to open up that can of worms. And when I say Karen, I'm referring to none other than Karen Elaine Johnson, also known more popularly as Whoopi Goldberg. 
Miss Whoopi, this podcast episode was going to be a nice, quiet Bible study, but because you went ahead and opened your mouth and said something about the Holocaust that was utterly stupid, um, we're going to have a talkie talk now about anti-Semitism. Now, the intent of this podcast was to not necessarily character assassinate anyone, of course. No, the intent of this podcast is to praise and worship the Hebrew God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and his son, Messiah Yeshua, and the spirit in which he came. But I can't help to think to myself that for something like that to come out of one's mouth, you either have to be really, really stupid or incredibly evil. I find it hard to believe that in the year 2022, someone would actually say something like that without thinking that through before they said it. I'm kind of glad you said what you said, Whoopi, because now everybody is aware that anti-Semitism is alive and well and hasn't gone anywhere. So thank you for making that more obvious. Now I know that you said that you were sorry and you apologized, yada yada yada. I even just now recently saw on the internet that uh, the uh, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem, has reached out to uh, invite you to go take a tour, and I think that you should do that. Maybe you'll learn something. I'm glad that you opened up your mouth, Whoopi, because now I get to show everybody, through what you said, that not only is anti-Semitism alive and well in America, um, it's also quite abundant within the American Gentile Church. Now, it's very important for me to make the disclaimer that I am by no definition calling you Miss Goldberg, an anti-Semite. Why, that would be completely ridiculous, considering that you have a predominantly Jewish last name. Why would you borrow a Jewish surname, Miss Johnson? Why would you do that? How can you make a claim like that that the Holocaust wasn't about race? It was all about race. This word, racism and racist, everything's racist. I have news for you. Most Americans wouldn't know real racism if it kicked them in the behind. And although that might sound a little um, inappropriate or rude even, I'm not entirely too concerned with how you feel about that because until you've visited a Holocaust museum or had any kind of extensive research on the Holocaust, um, I don't think that anyone should talk about such things. I, growing up in Israel, and predominantly in Jerusalem, uh, was brought to the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum um, every, almost every other field trip during my school years. So I'm very familiar with the Holocaust. It's not a stranger to me. I have had family members that have had the numbers tattooed on their arms, branded like cattle, simply because they were Jews. I'm going to tell you a little story about the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, Israel. Pay close attention. This is a memorial building that you walk into. It's dark, and you continue to walk on this path, and you walk into a large chamber, and you suddenly realize that you're on kind of a bridge, and all around you are candles. Now this chamber is a circle, it's like a, you're standing in the middle of a, a round, big round area, and 
On the walls of this chamber are mirrors. So when you see these candles, the candles are reflected in the mirrors, and then the mirrors are reflected in themselves. So when you basically look out to into the mirrors, you're seeing a reflection of the entire chamber. So it creates the illusion that you're standing in the middle of a of an ocean of of endless candles. And then as you're looking upon this ocean of candles, there is a plaque that says that every single candle is the soul of one Jewish child that perished in the Holocaust. And when you read that plaque and realize what you're looking at, you come out of that memorial building on the other side, absolutely changed, altered for life. I don't think that people understand in 2022 the atrocities that were done on the, upon the Jewish people and during the Holocaust. They invented new ways to kill us. So you can imagine what I felt when I, being a completed American-born, Israeli-raised, Messianic Jew who has served in the Israeli military, Tzva Haganal Israel, also known as Tzahal, for three years. How do you think I felt when I got called a racist, white supremacist because I voted for a certain specific person? Now ain't that a kick in the pants? Now I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist in the United States of America. Oh, it does. But the people that are being racist are not the ones that voted for the same person that I voted for. And I can see it in the actions of those people. Now, at the end of my last podcast, episode 7, I touched on an issue that I called passive-aggressive anti-Semitism within the body of Messiah. Or, let's just use the strange word, church. It's a strange word because it's kind of invented. Why is the word church invented? Well, so I'm going to highlight a little excerpt from... Uh, the same article that I read out of last time from the website HebrewForChristians.com. The article is written by one John Parsons, and I will reiterate this. It appears to be a significant fault of various English translations of the quote-unquote Christian Bible that the word church was translated for the Greek word ecclesia in the New Testament since this suggests an anti-Jewish bias in their work by implying that there is a radical discontinuity between Israel and the Ecclesia of Jesus, Yeshua, i.e. the Church. In other words, if the same Greek word Ecclesia is used in both the Septuagint and the New Testament, then why was a new word invented for it in the English version of the New Testament? Why not rather translate the word as it was used in the Septuagint, or better still, as it was used in the Old Testament scriptures? So there you go. There you have it right there. You heard it right here. The actual word church in English is an invention. The Hebrew word for it was kehila, and the Greek word for it was ekklesia, which both mean community or congregation. The very substituting of the term is an indication of underlying anti-Semitism because it was purposely done to remove 
any and all traces of anything Jewish to do with Yeshua. I simply cannot think of any other reason to do that. So my question is, to all of the pastors in the American Gentile Church, I really cannot stand that word. Why are you so afraid to touch anything Jewish? You claim that you follow the Jewish Messiah, and yet when it comes to Jewish things, and doing Jewish things, you suddenly get uncomfortable. You suddenly don't want to talk about it. I find this behavior to be oddly strange, since you believe in the Jewish Messiah, do you not? So why this unspoken reluctance to do anything Jewish, to delve into anything Jewish? So far, the closest one that I've seen to do anything remotely like what I'm talking about is Mr. Dallas Jenkins, the director of the series The Chosen. I can only hope and pray that one day you'll actually tune into my podcast, Dallas, and check it out. I can only hope. I love your show. It's amazing. This is not an advertisement or a plug for The Chosen by no definition. Mr. Dallas Jenkins has no idea who I am. But I will state that he is doing an excellent job in portraying the humanity and the Jewishness of our Messiah Yeshua. If you have yet to see this show, The Chosen, I emphatically urge you to check it out as soon as possible. Just type in The Chosen into any search bar of whatever search engine you use and it will bring you right to the app. You will not be disappointed, I promise. Even if you don't believe, especially if you don't believe yet, if you are searching, if you're not sure, check this show out. It will, it will open your eyes. So one might ask me, why, Gotti, why are you such a, on such a crusade, on such a mission to make this uh, whole Jewishness of Jesus known? What's your deal? Allow me to share with you a perfect example of what I mean when I say underlying passive-aggressive anti-Semitism within the body of Messiah. Now, here is something extraordinarily important that I have to make very, very clear. I am not calling my congregation anti-Semitic by no definition. That's not what I mean. If it was anti-Semitic, if I felt that my church that I go to, yes, I use that horrible word, if I felt that my quote-unquote church that I go to, that I attend to every Sunday, um, was anti-Semitic, I wouldn't be going to said church. And now in introspect, when I look at it closely, I guess I can't really blame, per se, certain pastors and certain people of the cloth that are teaching people things, because... Um, maybe I'm being too harsh because they simply don't know and yet at the same time when it's presented to them a situation where they can know they're like oh no thank you we don't do that because that's Jewish and we don't do Jewish things and I'm like well why not your Messiah is Jewish and he did Jewish things so wouldn't it stand to reason that if you are um, adopted into the family of God according to Ephesians 2 19 to 22 that you should not do what you used to do but start doing the things that of the family that you were adopted into 
If we analyze the behavior of an adopted child, when a child gets adopted, he no longer does the things that he used to do. He is now being trained in the ways of the family that adopted him. So therefore, it stands to reason that the Gentiles, according to Ephesians 2, 19, 22, if you read that, you'll see what I'm saying. Go there, check it out yourself. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. It states that the Gentiles have been adopted into the family of God. So it stands to reason that you guys would stop doing what you used to do and start to be trained and learn what the family of God does. And yet, for the last 2,000 years, the opposite has happened. We see an actual active removal of anything Jewish that has to do with Messiah Yeshua. So now I'm going to give you a perfect example of how this happens. The problem is rooted in the fact that there are 50,000 and a half different versions of the Word of God. This fact blows my mind whole. Here's a valid question. How can the body of Messiah ever achieve, ever dream of achieving any kind of unity if we have 50,000 and a half different versions of the Word of God? And I have news for you, boys and girls, believers and non-believers, my dear listeners out there in Spotify land. Not all of these versions are legit. How can I dare make such a bold claim? Because I have been given the ability to read, write, and speak pretty much fluent Hebrew. Growing up in Israel does have some advantages. So here's the example. Deuteronomy 6.4 The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. In English, we would read that as, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Some translations of the Bible would translate that as the Lord alone. This translation bothers the ever-living doggy doo-doo out of me. Here's why. In Hebrew, it would be Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. This is the most important thing a Jew can ever say in his life. This is the creed of a Jewish person. The Shema is the central affirmation of the faith for the Jewish people, and it is often the very first section of scripture that a Jewish child learns. During its recitation in the synagogue, Orthodox Jews pronounce each word very carefully and cover their eyes with their right hand. Many Jews recite the Shema at least twice daily, once in the morning and once in the evening. The text of the Shema is meticulously written on a small scroll, which is then rolled up and put inside a mezuzah. I really hope that I don't need to describe what a mezuzah is, but just in case people don't know what a mezuzah is, because there are people out there, a mezuzah is a small little thing that's put, it's like this little capsule looking thingy, that's put on the doorpost of a Jewish home, and it's supposed to guard the house, and there's scripture inside. And it's a, it's a Jewish tradition and a Jewish custom. So in Hebrew, I'll say it again in Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Now, I'm going to break the Hebrew down for you so that you all understand what's going on here, and there's a lot. The first two words of that verse are rather simple. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. 
Now here is where the fun starts. The next two words in Hebrew are Adonai Eloheinu. Now let's analyze the word Adonai. Adonai isn't actually the word Adonai at all. Adonai in the Hebrew text is actually and in fact what's called the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton is the four-letter name of God. It consists of the words in Hebrew Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. Now according to Rabbinical Judaism, I'm not supposed to say those letters together. I'm not even supposed to pronounce the, the name, that name at all. Now for the sake of teaching and instruction, I'm going to break down what Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey is. As you can plainly see, I don't really recognize the authority of the rabbis now, do I? Alright, so, yud hey vav hey. In the English, I would suppose that you could use the letters Y-H-V-H, some people use Y-H-W-H to describe the tetragrammaton. I personally prefer the Y-H-V-H if we're gonna go there. Now there is an extraordinarily old debate on whether how you're supposed to pronounce this word, and like I've mentioned before, you're not really supposed to pronounce this word at all, but with that being said, growing up in Israel, I've always heard it pronounced as Yehovah. He said Jehovah! One thing you should know about me is that I have what's called movie Tourette's. I'll just blurt out movie quotes out of nowhere in the middle of a sentence. I can't help it. It's the way I'm wired. And for those who haven't figured it out, it's from the movie The Life of Brian. Monty Python's The Life of Brian. He said Jehovah. Check it out. It's a rather irreverent movie, but it's rather funny if you don't take it too seriously. Okay, enough of Monty Python. Anyway, so yud hey vav hey, the Tetragrammaton. Now, let's break this word down for a moment. So one fine day, in my younger years, I asked God to show me what his name actually meant. This is his personal name, mind you. This is the name that he gave Moses at the burning bush. We're going to talk about that too, but that's, you guessed it, a whole different podcast episode. So anyway, so I in the spirit ask Abba Father, the God of Israel, the guy who created all of this that we look at every day, it's not man-made. I ask him, I'm like, look, if you want me to explain things to people, I'm going to need to know exactly what your, you know, things like what your name means, what is Zorach HaKodesh, I'm going to have to have, I'm going to need definitions that people could understand better because I think that people are, are, are thirsty, are hungry, thirsty for for a real explanation of what these terminologies mean. No. The Holy Spirit, what is that? Who is that? So, I asked Abba to define his actual personal name that he gave to Moses. Now, when Moses asked him at the burning bush, um, he said he was about to go down to Pharaoh, Egypt, and talk to uh, Pharaoh about letting go, letting the Israelites go. And he asks God, you know, so when Pharaoh asks me, who is, what is the name of this God of yours, what do I tell him? 
This account is mentioned in scripture in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. I'm reading out of the complete Jewish Bible, yes? My secret weapon. And I'll tell you why I call it that in a little bit. Moshe said to God, Look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I to tell them? God said to Moshe, Eheyeh asher eheyeh. What that really means in translation is, not only does it mean I am that I am, it really means I will be that which I will be. So when I asked Abba Father to reveal to me the meaning of his name, this is what he showed me. Embedded in the Tetragrammaton, in the yud Hey vav Hey, there are the words Haya, Hoveh, and the word Ihiyeh. The word Haya means was, and it signifies the past. The word Hoveh means present and signifies the right now. The third word, ihie, means will be, and it signifies the future. So what happens when you take hayahove and ihie, was, is, and will be, and put them all together in one word? What happens when you join the past, the present, and the future? What's the outcome? And the answer to that question my dear listeners, is the eternal. So there it is, my dear listeners. The actual translation of the Tetragrammaton, the yud heh vav Yehovah, Yahweh, it really translates as the eternal, or the eternal one. Now remember the word one, because we're going to talk about the word one in Hebrew here in a minute, and that's the real kick in the pants. So let's go back to the Shema again. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. Actually, it should be read Yehovah Eloheinu, which should be translated as the Eternal One is our God. Now, let's look at the word Eloheinu. This is going to blow your mind hole again. Here is what you're missing in translation, dear listeners. The word Eloheinu is a very complicated word and very hard to translate. Why? Because it is a masculine plurality. In order for me to help you understand better what the word Eloheinu means, I have to break down the word Elohim first. The word in Hebrew, Elohim, spelt E-L-O-H-I-M, is also a masculine plurality. The singular form of this word would be Eloha. That would be singular masculine. It's important to note that in Hebrew there is feminine and masculine, and also plural and singular. Let me give you an example. I will take the simple word son and sons and daughter and daughters. Translate them so you'll see what I'm talking about. So the Hebrew word for son is ben, ben echad, one son. banim, many sons. So you hear at the end of the word banim, there is this im, yud mem, the letters yud mem pronounced im. This is an indication of a masculine plurality. Ben echad, one son, banim, 
Banim. Im. Remember that im, okay? Another good example would be, let's take the word shu. Shu. Na'al. The word shu in Hebrew is na'al. Na'al echad. One shu. Harbe na'alaim. There's that im at the end of that word, so once again we have a masculine plurality. So let's go back to the word Eloha, which in actuality is the singular masculine form of God. And yet we have the word Elohim. There is that im. So why is it Elohim? Does that indicate that there is more than one God? The im at the end of Elohim is to indicate that God is a masculine plurality. So the answer to that question is that there aren't multiple gods, but let's call it multiple aspects of God. There are three aspects of God, and each aspect is God. This line of thinking works if we look at the very first beginning of the book of Yohanan, John. Yohanan 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, all things came to be through him, and without him nothing made had being. Now without getting too complicated and going in too deep, the word word is extraordinarily important and it loses a lot of depth in English, but in Hebrew the word word is davar, and it should actually be translated as the spoken word, but we're going to get into that later. Let's get back to the word Elohim and Eloheinu. So we've established that the word Elohim is actually referring to multiple masculine aspects of God, but we don't know exactly how many. Elohim does not give us an indication of a number. It just lets us know that there are more than one and that there are masculine. The mystery of this word could not fully be understood unless you are born again from above. He said, this is part of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. So let's go back to the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai, or rather Yehovah or Yahweh, the eternal, Eloheinu. Eloheinu is a contraction of the words Elohim Shalanu, which would be translated to our gods, but yet not gods our aspects of God. Maybe that would be better. So here's my attempt in breaking it down in actual English. Hear, O Israel, the eternal is our masculine plural aspect of God. The eternal is one. Now let's focus on the word one. The word one in Hebrew is a very special word. The word is pronounced echad. It's very important to understand and break down this word. The word unity, ichud, has the same three letters, three root letters. Remember that I tell you that Hebrew is always broken down into three root letters? So, let's look at the word for unity. The word for unity is ichud, which is aleph, yud, chet, Vav Dalid. There's that Aleph Chet Dalid is the root letters of the word Echad. As a matter of fact, the word Echad is made of Aleph Chet Dalid. Feel free to rewind as many times as you need to so that you could 
listen to this as many times as possible so that if I'm going too fast, I apologize. The word echad is used many times in scripture to describe a unity of many that become one. Adam and Eve are brought together as one. The description of a man leaving his parents and finding a woman and becoming one flesh. Basar echad. There's that word. Echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So the word Echad isn't necessarily a number as much as it is a unity. God is not one in number, he is one in union. As opposed to the word in Hebrew, Yachid, which means unique or singular. So while some of these versions of the Bible read, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, and there is a certain truth to that because it should be the Lord alone. Yes, it should be Adonai, Yahweh, Yehovah, whatever you want to call him, but he is the only one true God. But to read it like that is completely wrong on so many levels because he is one in unity, in union, in unison, not necessarily one by numeric value. Now, where does the word Adonai come from, and why do we call him this? Well, once again, if we break down the word Adonai, we're going to get a contraction of a plural masculinity. The word in Hebrew for Sir or mere Lord would be Adon. That would be spelt phonetically in English, A-D-O-N, D as in door. And it would be used if I was talking to any, just any guy on the street. Like, you know, it would be like saying, sir. So if I were to say, good morning, sir, it would sound like, Boker tov, Adoni. Adoni is a contraction, a ma- masculine singular contraction of my sir or my lord. Which sounds like, Adon Sheli. Adon Sheli. So the contraction of Adon Sheli is Adoni. Now, let's look at the plural form of Adon. Adon Echad, there's that word Echad, so Adon Echad, Harbe Adonim. And if you paid attention, you'll hear the, that Im at the end of Adon, Adonim, masculine plurality. So if I were to say my sirs, my sirs would be Adonim Shali. If I would if I would be referring to multiple people, multiple gentlemen, I would say Adonim Shali. But to make it quicker, I would say Adonai. So Adonai is a contraction of Adonim Shali. So growing up Jewish, every time we say Adonai, we're actually recognizing that there's more than one aspect of God. It is plural masculine, and we refer to him as a masculine plurality, even though we're not supposed to refer to him like this. So, in conclusion, we understand that these masculine plural aspects of God are in complete unison with each other. These aspects of God are in complete unison. They never stray from each other. They never disagree on anything. They always agree with each other. Where one goes, the others are constantly, perpetually, eternally. 
This is what I have come to call the triunity. Now, triunity sounds better than trinity because sometimes people think trinity, when they hear trinity, they think that there are three thrones in heaven and three separate gods. There are not three thrones in heaven. There are not three separate gods. I believe Yeshua demonstrates this perfectly when he says in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. In Hebrew, he says, Ani ve'avi echad anachnu. There's that word again, echad. Ani, I. Ve'avi, and my Father, echad, one, anachnu. We are. Now, when you open up these Bibles that translate it like this, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, you'll see a little asterisk above the word alone, and then for people who aren't lazy, they'll go and research it and find out that it could be, tr it could be understood like this, or it could be understood like this, or it could be understood like this, or it could be understood like this. There's like five or six different meanings of how to understand that verse. And I'm like, no, there really, really isn't, because it's kind of clear to me as a Jew, as growing up Jewish, when I hear Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, it automatically res resonates in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit as Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it has to be, has to be understood as the Lord is one because Yeshua says, I and the Father are one, one flock, one shepherd. Ro'echad, tzon echad. There's that word again, one of many, one. And what I want to know is why has there been such an effort to try to to change the meaning of the text. Why? You know, it's kind of important at this point for me to reiterate how Yeshua says in Matthew 24, the first thing that he says to his disciples after they ask him, tell us, what is it, what's gonna happen at the end of the world? What's gonna happen? How are we gonna know what to do and, and what to look for? I'm paraphrasing. It's in, the, it's in I'll show it, I'll tell, I'll tell you where it is. I'm referring to Matthew 24 verses 3 and 4. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the Talmidim, the disciples, came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that you are coming and that Ho'olam Hazeh, this world, is ending? Yeshua replied, watch out, don't let anyone fool you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Mashiach, and they will lead many astray. I'm going to stop here. Which, that by the way has happened. There have been many people that came after Yeshua to claim that, that they are the Messiah, and they have led, led many people astray. But my emphasis here is the whole um, watch out, don't let anyone fool you bit. And you can easily be fooled by having the word of God misinterpreted and mistranslated and having it twisted and having pieces missing out of it and having words taken out of it yes words are taken out of certain versions of the bible you want me to prove it to you i can do that here we go genesis 19:24. if you are the studious type and happen to have a bible open right next to you while you're following me on this podcast episode please open to genesis 19:24. And it should read something like this. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible, so mine has that 
extra little Jewish flavor to it. Then Adonai caused sulfur and fire to rain down upon Sodom and Amorah from Adonai out of the sky. Now if you pay attention, the word, there's that word Adonai again, and when we read it Adonai, it's actually the yud heh vav -Hey. okay? Important to point that out. Now, another thing that's very important to point out is that the word Adonai is mentioned twice. The background story to this verse is there are three people that come to visit Abraham and Sarah. They have a little talky-talk over some food. Later when you read the story, you find out that Abraham is actually talking to God and two other angels. The two other angels move on to Sodom, Sodom, to find Lot. This whole time while that's happening, Abraham and God have a little bargaining session to where Abraham basically gets God to sort of bargain with him about how many righteous people he can save out of the city. And Abraham asks God, if we find one righteous person in all of Sodom, will you spare the city? And God says, sure. And while he says this, he's actually removing the one righteous person from the city. Because God's judgment has already been decreed. So let's go back to Genesis 19.24 and read that again. Then Adonai, the yud heh vav -Heh, caused sulfur and fire to rain down upon Sodom and Amorah, from Adonai the yud heh vav -Heh, out of the sky. Some versions of scripture will omit the last Adonai. Do you understand how horrible that is? The first mentioning of Adonai, the one who does the asking of the sulfur and fire, is actually, and in fact, Messiah Yeshua, but before he's born as a human being. And yet he's always been Messiah Yeshua. Right? Anyway, he's the first Adonai in this verse. Then Adonai, Messiah Yeshua, caused sulfur and fire to rain down upon Sodom and Amorah from Adonai, Abba, Father, out of the sky. But what happens if you omit the last Adonai? You're basically removing the whole dynamic between the Father and the Son. And by doing so, you're altering the entire meaning and impact that this verse has. Go to uh, biblehub.com on your phone and uh, uh, check it out yourself. Here, look. Um, there's the New International Version, the New Living Translation. Let's read the New, the New Living Translation, shall we? It says, Then the Lord rained fire... I'm sorry, let's start over. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Where's the second mentioning of the Lord? Where did it go? Why is it gone? Here's another one, the Good News Translation. Suddenly the Lord rained burning sulfur on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Stop. Once again, the second Adonai is gone. Here's another one. Oy vey, how many, how many versions of the Bible do we need? The New Heart English Bible. The New Heart English Bible. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the sky. That is not what it says. As a matter of fact, because I can, I'll go ahead and read it to you in Hebrew so you can see what it says. Ve-Yehovah. There's that word that I should get a rock in my face for. Ve-Yehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Eternal, the Eternal One. Yehovah himtir al Sdom ve'al Amorah gofrit va'esh me'et Adonai, Yehovah, min ha'shamayim. So I'll read it in the traditional way. 
ואדוני המטיר על סדום ועל עמורה, גופרית ואש מאת אדוני מן השמיים. So as you've heard it yourself, Adonai, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, or however, the Eternal One, blessed be He, is mentioned twice. So why are, why are there versions that omit the second Adonai? Why, is it, why does that happen? This is exactly my problem. Not only are there 50,000 different versions of scripture, I'm sorry, 50,000 and a half different versions of scripture, but but they're, but they're erroneous. They're wrong. They're 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 translated wrong. They they're not accurate. So how can we aspire to any kind of unity of the body of Messiah if we have a bajillion different versions of Scripture and they're wrong? I have noticed strange behavior from so-called Christians that have always it's always struck me odd this behavior. As soon as anything Jewish is introduced to the conversation. Things get suddenly very weird and awkward. Why, why is that? Why does that happen? We could be talking about Messiah Yeshua himself, and, and, and everything's dandy as long as we keep on calling him Jesus Christ. But as soon as I start saying Messiah Yeshua, people give me the strange eye. We can talk about Easter and Christmas, but as soon as I start talking about Passover and Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, which are actual, Mo'adim, actual appointed times that are mentioned in scripture, um, I get weird looks. I could bring up a term like Torah, and all of a sudden people are like, what is Torah? And suddenly things get weird and uncomfortable. Now it's been brought to my attention that, um, you know, it's very possible that they don't know any better. Uh, my friend and brother and Messiah Les Paul Stewart from Greeley, Colorado. What's up, dude? He um, he said it's just they they, they don't know. My my uh, my uh, my uh, home slice from my congregation, uh, Leah. She says to me that they just don't know it. So my question is, why not? Why do they? Why do they not know? Why is there not a burning desire to to teach them? And then the the, the obvious answer is because that the pastors who teach all of this, supposedly you're supposed to teach all this, they don't know what they're talking about. And suddenly I think of the verse in John, Yohanan Arba Eslim John 4.22. John 4.22, let me read that for you. I read it for you, I read it to you before, but I'm going to read it to you again. And now remember, these are the words of Yeshua saying this to the, to the woman at the well, who was not Jewish, she was a Samaritan. But this applies to the body of Messiah, the Gentile body of Messiah. You people don't know what you are worshipping. We worship what we do know because salvation comes from the Jews. So I have a question for you, all pastors of the Gentile body of Messiah of America and the world. How can you possibly claim that you believe and follow the Jewish Messiah when you do nothing Jewish to show that you follow the Jewish Messiah? Everything about you is, is not Jewish. And you say to me, ah, because we're not Jews. And that's where I say that you're wrong. You are Jews. God has called you to be inward Jews. If you believe in the words of Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, then you are now adopted as Jews. You are not bound by Torah, but you are bound by Yeshua, who is Jewish. 
I do not need to remind you that the very Messiah that you claim to put your faith in and lead people to lived a Torah-observant Jewish life and was born Jewish. And yet you don't do anything Jewish, and you shun people from learning anything Jewish. To the point where you have to invent a whole new word for the word congregation and call it church. Why are you so quick to refer to him by his Greek name and title, Jesus Christ, as opposed to his Hebrew name and title, the original Hebrew name and title, Messiah Yeshua, HaMashiach Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach. Don't you realize that every time and any time somebody says Yeshua HaMashiach, they're not just saying Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah, they're declaring that Yeshua is the Messiah, it's a declaration. Just because you are no longer bound by his Torah does not mean that you can remove the Jewishness of Messiah Yeshua from the scriptures and the context of the scriptures. So to solve this problem and to bring a unity to the body of Messiah, not just a unity within the Gentile body of Messiah, but I'm talking about one flock, one shepherd, just like it says in the Bible, just like Yeshua says, one flock, one shepherd. I hate to break it to you guys, but there's no such thing like this right now. As a matter of fact, it seems like you guys, you guys are responsible for preventing there to be one flock and one shepherd. You are actively not introducing the Jewishness of your Messiah back into your congregations. As long as the Jewishness of Messiah Yeshua is not brought back into the Gentile churches of America and the world, and the true context and hermeneutics of the word of Elohim is deliberately excluded, this deception is encouraged to continue. You do nothing to commemorate the Jewishness of the Messiah you claim to believe in, and then you beg for revival in your churches. I ask you, pastors of America, what have you done to feed his sheep? How many times have I walked into mega churches? Massive churches, big congregations, they're so proud that they go into different countries of the world to minister and witness to all of these countries. And I look for the Israeli flag and I don't find it. And then I ask them, do you minister to Israel? And they're like, oh no, we don't go there. And I'm absolutely thunderstruck and dumbfounded. And why not? Why don't you go and minister to Israel? Could it be possibly that your replacement theology and you don't believe that God's covenants with Israel are eternal and they're broken and they transfer to the church? How many churches are there in America like this? Do you not understand that the good news of salvation was for the Jew first and then for you? Why do you boast against the branches, pastors of America and the world? So if you want to see true revival, I urge you to pick up this Bible that I have been reading and studying from for a very, very long time. It is called the Complete Jewish Bible, and it is the answer, this version, is the answer to the church's problems. This is the Bible that can unify the body of Messiah. Now this sounds like a very bold claim, but I'm going to read you the introduction to this Bible and you're going to understand why. Once again, I feel quite obligated to thank you, uh, Mr. David H. Stern, for bringing this together and giving us the complete Jewish Bible. I also want to thank Messianic Jewish Publisher Publishers and Resources and Hendrickson Bibles 
for putting together this amazing complete Jewish study Bible version that has given me tremendous insight to all things pertaining to Messiah Yeshua. Thank you very much and Adonai bless you. Introduction to the complete Jewish Bible. Why is this Bible different from all other Bibles? Because it is the only English version of the Bible fully Jewish in style and presentation that includes both the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and Habrita Chadasha, the New Covenant or the New Testament. Even its title, the complete Jewish Bible, challenges both Jews and Christians to see that the whole Bible is Jewish, the Brita Chadasha, the New Testament, as well as the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Torah Nevi'im Ktuvim, that's, that's an anagram for the, the Torah, the Prophets, and the Scriptures. Jews are challenged by the implication that without it, the Tanakh is an incomplete Bible. Christians are challenged by the fact that they are joined to the Jewish people through faith in the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. So that because Christianity can be rightly understood only from a Jewish perspective, anti-Semitism, you hearing me whoopee? Anti-Semitism is condemned absolutely and forever. In short, the complete Jewish Bible restores the Jewish unity of the Bible. Also, for the first time, the information needed for the synagogue readings from the Torah and the Prophets is completely integrated with similar use of the Brit HaChadasha. Now, there's a lot more to this introduction, but I felt very uh, inclined to share that uh, beginning of it with you to uh, make you understand for once and for all that the Bible from beginning to end is a Jewish book for the Jews written by Jews and that the Messiah that you all claim to believe in and follow, pastors of America and the world, is a Jewish Messiah who lived a Jewish life. The longer you refrain from embracing this fact and um, in injecting this back into your congregations, you're basically, you're embracing another doctrine that might as well be worshiping a golden calf. I implore you and beg you, do not be the silly bridesmaids that do not have oil in their lamp and get caught off guard when the bridegroom comes at midnight. I urge you, pastors of America and the world of the Gentile body of Messiah, that you seek out the Jewishness of Messiah and put him back into your congregations. Just start doing Kiddush, which is the foundation of communion. Do it every Friday. Every Friday evening in the beginning of Shabbat, the Sabbath. Now, I don't, I'm not asking anybody to live under Torah again. No, we're not, uh, we're not bound by Torah. We're not obligated to do all of these things. But if you don't do them, then what are you actually doing? Because Messiah Yeshua is Jewish and you should be doing Jewish things. How are you supposed to find the Jewishness of Messiah in Christmas and in Easter and in Halloween and all of this other stuff? Where is it? Why does the American body of Messiah insist on embracing pagan traditions that are wrapped around in a, in a cheap wrapper of, of diluted Christianity? Why do you settle for that? My brothers and sisters, it is time to stop following the Greek Jesus and start following the Hebrew Yeshua, the Jewish Yeshua.
I implore you, emphatically so, to find a copy of this amazing Bible, the Complete Jewish Study Bible. It will change your life. In the upcoming podcast episode that I have planned out, episode 9, we're going to start delving into a book that I got from a ministry called OneForIsrael.org. OneForIsrael.org is a fantastic ministry, blessed by God. Uh, They are the spearhead, the spearhead of the effort to bring the good news of salvation through Messiah Yeshua to both Israeli Jew and Israeli Arab and Palestinian Arab. And I can attest firsthand that there will never be peace in that area of the world until all sides confess with their mouth and bend their knee to the one true king who is Messiah Yeshua and the God of Israel. The only way we can achieve destruction of anti-Semitism in our lifetime is to have a better understanding of the Jewish context of the Word of God and to fully comprehend that there really isn't such a thing as Christianity or Judaism. They are one. Echad. One. One flock. One shepherd. I'm going to drive this point home even further with this book from OneForIsrael.org. It's called Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. How the Torah fulfills its goals in Yeshua the Messiah. So stay tuned because episode 9 is going to be an absolute doozy and we're going to delve even deeper into the heart of everything I'm talking about by proving to you, dear listener, that the Torah was never the focus, it's always been about Yeshua. And we're going to see that in the Torah itself. And perhaps through this you will come to the acknowledgement and the fact that The impossible is made possible in this man that we call Messiah Yeshua. And that he is in fact the only hope that humanity has. Look, I'll be really honest with you guys. I do these podcasts from the bottom of my heart. I do them as a labor of love to serve my God. And to make these podcasts, it costs me nothing and I do it for free and I really love doing it. With that being said... If any of you listeners out there believe in what I'm trying to do, and that is uh, make the most famous Jewish person in the world even more famous, fulfilling my divine duty and casting this net, this, this fishing net that I have that is my voice, in hopes that I somehow catch your attention and point you back to the answer to all the questions. Sometimes the answer is not a pleasant one. Sometimes the truth is not pleasant. He is the way. Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14:6. And while he was here on this earth, it was not pleasant for him. If you would like to support me in my mission to bring this man that we call Yeshua the Messiah to the masses, through my podcasts and introduce to you a different way of looking at God and the world, then you can support me by clicking the link on both Spotify and Google Podcasts, and it's even on Anchor as well. Also, I would love it if you would rate my show so that I could get feedback of how good or bad I'm doing. So please, please rate my show. 
As Messiah Yeshua loves you all, so do I. Before I sign off, I will go ahead and say these words, which are the ironic blessing. Yivarchacha Adonai v'yishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yechunecha. Isa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift his face upon you and give you his peace. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Messiah Yeshua, I bid you Shalom v'nishtamea bekarov, peace and you will be hearing from me soon.